All right, today is Monday, the 27th of November, 2023, and uh, we begin, unfortunately, we have to, as usual now, Achenu kol beit Yisrael hanatunam betzaru b'shivya omdim ben biyam ben biyabasha ben bavir hamakom yirachem aleihem yotziyim mitzaru levacha me'afeilali ora mishibed legula hashta ba'agala uvisman kariv v'noma amen. And those of you that weren't here yesterday, I refer you to my opening remarks, which, uh, unfortunately, I think are as as true as today is. Monday the 20, what day did we say? The 27th, wow. Okay, uh, another word about the war, my dear Talmud. Uh, uh, one second, I'm, I'm blocking out, I'm thinking of his father. Uh, sent me, Rabbi Yeshua Grinstein, I was ready to quote his father, who's no longer alive, but also my Talmud. Rabbi Yeshua sent me an interesting story. He recorded it and maybe he has a podcast or a class that he teaches. It's on YouTube. And uh, it's about a Kadosh, the last person that Sahal announced fell in battle, Eitandov Rosenzweig from the Alon Shvut area. Must have been a very interesting individual because uh, Yomo showed me a video of him at the Gerich Hasidic Fabrengen, and he's a Talmud of, I, without going into detail, there's now a breakaway in Gerd or a Shishiva, uh, uh, Rav Shola Alta, and uh, he was in the audience, you can see him, and he mentions he's a Talmud of Rav Shola Alta as well. And the story is very fascinating because I told a similar story many decades ago during my Sunday classes on the Holocaust and the story about Eitan is that uh, when they reached Azar and they're destroying the buildings and I think you're aware that Azar my grandchildren who were there tell me it's like Dresden after World War II totally bombed out and they come into this building that they have to blow up and they see a rabbit and Dove goes out of his way to lift up the rabbit, save the rabbit, throw him out into the street that he should survive and not suffer because the building is being blown up. And what does this tell you here? A soldier, but a mensch, a gomel chesed, a Jew, a heart. And that's the story I told many decades ago uh, a block up from where I live for the last uh, 54 years, a great Rav lived one block up, Rav Shimon Efrati, maybe some of you remember him. He was the Rav of what's called today Yatama or Beis Yosef. It has two different names uh, for reasons that I don't want to go into now, it'll take too long. But uh, the building is Yatama, but one of the, the shul in it is a continuation of a shul that was called Beit Yosef. And um, he published on the Holocaust, he was a survivor who went through the hell. And in one of his forum, Megei Harigai, I think it is, he tells an unbelievable story that the Nazis are deporting Jews from this Polish Hasidic city and uh, deporting them to kill them to Auschwitz, to the death camps. And this Jew who's being deported yells out to 
a younger Jew who hasn't been selected, the cattle haven't eaten yet, see that the cattle and the chickens are fed before you eat breakfast. And I don't think you can top that story. And what we're up against is beyond comprehension. I never dreamt I have to come home today and tell my wife Hillcrest, where her sister lives, they almost lynched the Jewish teacher yesterday. The students we're talking about, the police had to come and, and save her. It's beyond comprehension, the hatred for the Jew in the world. All right, Reg regarding uh, what's going on with our good at Yisrael, I don't want to waste any more time on it. I've said what I have to say, and I'm doing things behind the scenes. I hope it has a bit of impact on the so-called Moetzet Gedolei HaTorah. I can only tell you, when I came in Aliyah, I had a shocking experience. Those of you familiar with my latest uh, the piece before the Hakira article, my piece on Herzl, which I consider the single most important publication I've ever published, uh, Joseph and his brothers in relation to Theodor Herzl and Zionism. And um, that that piece with Herzl, I'm trying to get it widely disseminated because it can solve many problems uh, in a hashkafa level, a philosophic level. But when I came in Aliyah, if you're familiar with the piece on Herzl, I bring back to life a man named Elchanan Blumenthal, Rabbi Doctor. Rabbi Doctor Elchanan Blumenthal, we were alim chadashim. You have no idea what it's like to be an Oleh Chadash, a new country, a new language, a new mentality. A new supermarket. Uh, yeah, it's a tremendous adjustment. So I'm always marketoiva to the few individuals. There was no no Anglos here. There was no YU here. Uh, I went in Aliyah. You all know they thought I was crazy. From from the Rav to Rabbi Belkin, uh, <laughs> Reb David Lifshitz. Uh, yeah, what are you leaving? America, Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi built the whole first Orthodox shul. Suburban Essex County. And one of the people who was Makarovas was the Blumenthal family. And I remember he learned in Kelmyet. He told me stories I used to shake, Gedole, Gedole Israel. And one time in 69 or 70, I mentioned very innocently, Moesek Gedole Torah. He got hysterical, I'll never forget this. No Moet, Nishta Moet said. Nishka Doilem, and his Nishtotten kein Tater. And that's what he said to me, and I was shocked. All I can tell you is, 50-plus uh, years later, I'm not certain he was wrong. So I'm doing what I can. But one thing I want to mention uh, that you can pick up on the websites, a student of mine from the Kolel, who was a rough prosaic today, Ron, Ron Eisenman, I believe his name is. Uh, uh, does he go with the Hebrew name? I don't believe no. he, uh, he uses Ron. Ron. So he has a website, the short part. This is not exactly a short part, but it's being quoted all over the website. He wrote a response why he was proud that he went to Washington. And I recommend it to you. He describes very beautifully uh, Rabbi Mordechai Willig teaching on the bus for endless hours. I don't know where you get the strength. I mean, the Rav used to give a sheer in his prime the outside shear was four and a half, five hours. I know I finished here today, an hour and 40 minutes. You boys carry me out. But uh, 
I'm not young anymore. Could be when I was younger, I could go more. I think the longest year I ever gave is my most famous year, unfortunately, um, the Joe DiMaggio Hespit. That that was the longest year I ever gave in the auditorium here. And everyone, uh, don't, okay, let's not waste more time, but everyone says, this is the man who did the Hespit. And I remember one time a man is standing there in routine to introduce me to his children, and he's saying, do you know who this man is? He gave the eulogy for Joe DiMaggio. The kid know what the word eulogy meant? And even worse, he didn't know who Joe DiMaggio was. And the father, and why are you so happy? And the kid's looking at me, eulogy, shmulazi, DiMaggio, Pomaggio, what are you talking about? Now, um, a, 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 a correction Small correction, I mentioned in the Sunday class uh, Rabbi Jeffrey Rosenfeld and I gave him smicha from YU. So he writes to me, his smicha is from Israel. Um, And uh, then I also made a mistake that when I spoke about the Thanksgiving Day Parade in Sherich Israel, I thought they were watching it on TV. It turns out that the parade goes right past Spanish-Portuguese synagogue. I apologize. I've never been at a Thanksgiving Day parade. I remember my wife, my kids used to watch it on the TV. So I made a mistake. They see it live. The shul is located on 70th and Central Park, Western Manhattan. At such you can watch the parade from the portion of the shul. It makes a great viewing experience. Experience much better than standing on the streets for the parade. I also want to cl- uh, clarify, I have no problem with the shul joining with two churches to raise money for, the, for food for poor people. My question that I said I would like to discuss with Rabarin Soloveitchik is Jesus C on synagogue stationery. That's my question. In other words, these three, it's one, st- I showed it to you last week, one stationary or two weeks ago, whenever it was, these, the synagogue and the two churches, the stationary has all the emblems. So, Sherit Yisrael, fine. Another church is fine. And one church has CH right there. Follow me, Charlie. That's my question. I didn't object. He thought I objected to John. No, Hasva Halila. Uh, it's an open Gemara that we have to give stucker to Goyim Mitnei and but if I could talk with Ravon Soloveitchik I'd be very happy and I leave it to Mark when you go back to Chicago we can't get to Ravon and talk to Rav Meisha see what he says but he may he's caught in a in, in, in a quagmire because they're talking about his nephew Rav Yaakov Meir the Rav who's the son of Rav Eliyahu, his brother. Rav Meishu's older, Rav Eliyahu, and the, it's a terrific family. Okay. Also, I want to mention uh, Dr. Lipson, my dear Dr. Lipson from Toronto. We mentioned the Caesarean section, if you recall. And uh, good morning, Rabbi. It is widely a prevalent myth that the term Caesarean section is related to the birth of Jew, Julius Caesar. The term comes from the Latin words, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, kesa or sikar, meaning cut, as relating to the alternate method of delivering the baby from the womb. Best wishes and prayers for peace in Israel, Marty.
Okay. We also mentioned vexatious. And I told you, this is the story of America. Uh, uh, Sal, you got to write a book from, from Gershom Mendes to Vic. About eight generations intervene. And uh, total wasp. But he yet remembered his great-great-great-grandfather was the first rabbi in America. And I told you, when I was growing up, he was number one tennis player in the United States, standing, ranking, number one. And I threw out, I wonder if he's alive, my Talmud Jacob Sasson writes, I just wanted to let you know, Rebbe, that Vixtatius is still alive. He celebrated his 100th birthday this past summer. You can find videos made in his honor on YouTube. Okay, and coming back uh, to the Sunday class, Yeshiva Tachma Lublin. So I heard from another Talmud, um, uh, my dear student, uh, Omen, uh, I believe he's in, it says the United Kingdom, England. Uh, I've, I've never met him, but we've corresponded for decades. And uh, he writes to me, that there was another student of Chachmei Lublin who reached Israel. Uh, his name, Yechiel Dinur. Dinur means fire in Aramaic. It's a Hebratized name. He was born Yechiel Feiner. 1909-2001 was a Jewish writer, Holocaust survivor, and his books were inspired by his time as a prisoner in the Upshitz concentration camp. All his works are written in Hebrew. And it goes on to describe the student in Chachmein Israel. I don't know from all the description whether he remained in the world of Torah, but I've yet to see the name anywhere else. But I mention it, maybe someone can research and find out, family, Israel, what became with this student from Chachman Lublin. Kenny, with all that being said, put on Litvisha clothes, and let's come into the world that nurtured me and raised me, but a world that I have a lot of difficulty identifying with what, what happened with that march is shocking. There's something happened here in Israel with Yatayb Neumann. I don't even want to repeat it. It's, it's beyond comprehension that the Litvisha Welt should be so distant from what Torah is all about. But all right, let it stand over. At this moment in time, I'm proud to be a Talmud of the Rav, Talmud of why you of my time. Now, we're changing gears. We're shifting into the Lithuanian world, and I'll need about uh, 20 years Bezrat Hashem to finish what I'm now scratching the surface. Uh, and we spoke last time in depth about the Vilna Gon. I want to I, I make one more point that I didn't make last week. And this is important. Uh, the Vilna Gon, you'll go to the library. We are now dedicated the most sophisticated library, I'm told, in the world that... Uh, the building a few blocks from here has computerization that we never dreamt about uh, in, in our youth. And uh, they, they credit that they, they, my wife already said we got to make an appointment to get a tour. 
all right, we'll wait till the spring weather will get a little better and get a tour. Maybe we have to go in a group. I'll see what I can work out. But be it as it may, you go to the catalog. And the catalog is very important. What did a person write? You'll see about 70, 80 uh, entrances in the catalog about the Vilnagon books, articles. In reality, he published nothing in his lifetime. All these books are a result of his students. Now, the Gemara and the Shulchan Aruch is much more reliable than anything else because this they actually found. Could you imagine if you found the Gemara today? Remember how I ended off the class? I told you the story of Shia Balin. All right, you, you have to know Shia. You have to put yourself back in 1956, 7, 8, whenever it happened. And, and the Rav says to him, Shia, he's writing the notes on the side of the Gemara. We all took notebooks with us. And he has yes, he's writing on the side a word or two. And he says, uh, Shia, I'm a drager from the Vulnagon that you're on the Madrega of the Vulnagon to write, and Berlin, without batting an eyelash, says, Ken Zayn, Ken Zayn, he said, maybe I am. And oh, that was Berlin, and that was the Rav, and it was an encounter of two geniuses. So uh, what you found on the side of the Gemara is what the Gong wrote. So that is the most reliable. And that's why, if you recall of Shaul Liebman, what I told you, he thought the Gong that Arangaganyan in Gullis went into Gullis and went to Zolkiev and Berlin and, and these famous cities to see the manuscripts. And inevitably, every emendation that the Gong did turns out when you found the manuscript, you found that he was correct. Everything else that's written, say, from Mishle and, and Perish Hagon and on the Chumish, I remember it was someone I knew yet from Lakewood, he came out with a safe Perushim on the Chumish, he put together from the Gong, and you have Kabbalistic books. All that was written by Talmudim. And tradition has that, again, as I told you, no one did a doctorate on the Gong uh, based upon life stories, interviews, newspapers. It didn't exist then. Tradition has it that the Gong spoke so quickly that at times students couldn't write it all down. So all these entries on the Gong are fascinating. The volumes beckon to the Gong. On the other hand, it doesn't have the same impact like the Tshuvata of Meisha Feinstein that Rep. Meisha wrote, particularly the first five, six volumes, he's clear, he's understandable. Uh, you take works that uh, Rep. David Zvi Hoffman, Berlin, published in his lifetime, Vayikra, Devarim, fabulous. What's published later from manuscript, you have Breshet Shmot, doesn't equal what he published in his lifetime because it's the master, he is there. What happens afterwards, it's a different generation, it's not the master. So you have to be aware of that, that uh, there has to be, when you approach a safer attributed to the gone, it has to be taken with the understanding that it's the gone as the ciphered 
by the next generation by his company. Okay, now I want to show you, I want to pick up and show you a very important source. And I mentioned this last week in passing. The Gon's two sons, Rabbi Avraham and Rabbi Huda Leib, wrote a Hakdama to the Shulchan Aruch, meaning the Gon's Hagot and the Shulchan Aruch, they wrote a Hakdama. This Hakdama is the best source we have for the Gon's life. These are his sons. They were totally accurate. They knew their father. And a lot of what I told you last week comes from this introduction. But now I want to come back to something I said very quickly last week, and I want to show you something amazing, or tell you something amazing. You can check it out. Here they say their father didn't sleep Lo yashan yokemi beit shot may eight le eight, and and they describe he would sleep for a half hour, jump up, go back to learning. Totally with it, and they say for almost his entire life until his old age, this was his way of life. I remember teaching, it may have not been in this building, it may have been in the Neely building. I remember teaching the BMT and citing this about the gong. And one of my Talmudim pops up, uh, you know, a wise Alec college kid. And he says, Rebbe, it's impossible. How can you only sleep two hours out of 24? Okay. Look. Gone. He wasn't like us, wasn't. Believe it or not, a few years later, research was done, post-doctoral. Remember, I believe it was in London, the top universities, about sleep. Why do we sleep the way we do? Okay, Yehuda Dove went to sleep last night, eleven o'clock. Why eleven o'clock? He woke up this morning at 7. Right? I don't want to go. My, my, my uh, habits today are not normal. You know? it's, I'm older. I have to live with reality. But uh, I, last night I went to sleep, let's say, 9.30. And I woke up 4 o'clock. Actually, a quarter to 4. I heard the 4 o'clock news already. Just confirming what I predicted in class yesterday. They have us over a barrel and you heard, you saw what Jonathan Pollard said, but humans can't follow. Humans follow emotion. And no one can withstand the pressure from the mothers, the brothers, the children, etc. But come back here. Uh, why do we sleep like this? Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask you something else. Why do we sleep at night? Why do we work by day? I can tell you working by day is, is worse than working by night. Very simply, let's take Israel. From uh, April to November, it gets quite hot in the middle of the day. At night, you wear a jacket, you can work, don't worry about the heat, don't need air conditioning. Beautiful. 
So, why here, Max, you're, you're holding that that's your daughter or your son? My daughter. Your daughter, because with long hair, you can't have many grandchildren yeah, have, had upsharings. Mm. And when I was growing up, I never knew, I never heard the word upsharing. You follow me? And I was yeah. a from kid, but yeah. I never heard the word upsharing. And I have grandchildren, I've had upsharings. So, okay, Baruch Hashem. No complaints. So, why did you teach your daughter to sleep at night? Right? The kid is first born, you're in a state of shock every three hours. Then you start to give a little solid six hours sleep. Oh, my. You, 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 finally, you reach the stage in life. I have grandchildren who say, no, we got to sleep. We like sleeping. We're tired. Can I hire a grandchild? I mean, great-grandchildren, excuse me. My grandchildren are older than I am already. I'm talking great-grandchildren. So, uh, you see, this is the world. The world works this way. Whatever the reasons are, daytime, there's light. It's nice. You can see. We work. At night, we rest. It's, it's the conventions of society. So, the Vilna Gaon, what they did at the universities, they had two groups. The group that they were testing and the group that was the control. So let's say they had a hundred people work by day, sleep at night. They had another hundred people, every six hours they slept one hour they got twice the amount of work done. You follow what I'm saying? Why do you need consecutive sleep? Six hours, knock off an hour. Six hours, knock off an hour. That's the Vilna Gaon. He managed six hours, slept a half hour. Six hours, slept a half hour. And... Believe me, if I meet that BMT boy, Kenny, I'm going to tell him the sons are right, you were wrong. Why don't we do it? Convention. In other words, I, I come to Gris, people want to meet me, people want to meet me. Why people want to meet me, I have no idea. I'm not a Hasidic Rebbe. I said, come to class. No, no one has time to come to class. I want to give them Rakafararum. They don't even come. I say, I have it in Gris. I, I know two students that I promised Rakafadarum come to Gris. They haven't come. They're not interested in coming. So if you want after class, if you have space to carry it, wait, it's yours. So you see, people, conventions of life. I come here, at, I, people want to meet me, I say, all right, I can meet you at 8 a.m. at Gris. Let's might as well tell them I'll meet you in China, in Ikhvais, in, 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 in uh, meet you with Meitzi, the Meitzi Dung in China at AAM. They look at me like I'm crazy. Eight o'clock? Who are at eight o'clock? Have to daven, have to eat breakfast, have to read the paper, you hear the news. Ten o'clock. So it's conventions of society. Well, if this is the case, you can understand the crowd. And the children tell it as it is. Right. Now, what's also important in the introduction, and, and you can see it all, and this I alluded to last week, they make clear that the fact that the Gong never got to Israel, never got to Eretz Israel, 
It's a fact. He started out, he wrote a whole ethical discourse. In any volume on ethical discourses among the Jews, JPS once had a volume like this. And you'll find they all published the ethical discourse of the Gras telling his wife, spend whatever money you have on our son's educations, get them the best malamdin. Our daughters tell them not to go to shul shoppers. All that women do is they see fancy dresses, they become jealous, they speak gossip, better to daven at home. All right, he left an ethical discourse. Again, someone asked me last week, he went without his wife, but you have to understand that in those days, you didn't take a woman on a journey that was perilous to Israel. You went in your older age when you were finished cre- creating a family, and you went to pray for your family, Alat Matakotesh. Now the gong turned back, and I can entertain you with stories I heard from the Rav and stories I read and why he turned back. But here his sons say, they asked their father, why did you come back? And his father said, It's like what I told you, he wanted to build a golem. In other words, there was something in his relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, as we will see later today, above the normal relationship. And God told him, it's not time for you to go. Turn back. Okay? And this is the source right here. Okay. Now I want to go one step further and I'll reveal to you what to me as the why you graduate is the place, uh, someone who lives in the world of Torah and the world of acad- academia, even though uh, my academia is Torah history, but it's still academia. Was, who was the God? What did he believe? What was his attitude towards general knowledge? Now, I have a dear student that uh, you haven't met because he's in America now taking care of his mother. She's widowed and the burden fell on him. He had to go back. His name is Steve Gross, one of my dearest students. He taught in a high school called Himmelfarb. It's not far from here. It's Beitvagan, a religious high school. It's not a yeshiva tichonet, it's a religious high school, there's a difference, there's less stress on Gemara in a religious high school than there is in yeshiva tichonet. That high school, unfortunately, is very much in the news now, at least three of their Jewets, each one at Sadek, has fallen in battle. It's a wonderful school, a YU graduate, a, a descendant of YU people, Jeremy Savitsky, was principal of the school for many decades. And I owe him a great amount of thanks because one of my grandsons went there and that school had an unbelievable influence on him. So Jeremy Loalenu, his son-in-law, was killed in battle. And other graduates of Himmelfeld, schools in the news. But that's not why I'm quoting it. Let me read to you what Steve Gross wrote to me. First of all, he sent me a link this is the Sefer written by the Talmud of the Gon on mathematics in the name of the Gon. Uh, Sefer is called Eyal Mishulash, 
uh, and published for the first time 1833 and this is a photograph of the very first page the whole Sefer is available in Hebrew books it's amazing now Steve writes to me I was a high school math teacher at Himmelfab the scuttlebutt was that when Misrata Chinuch had to organize math textbooks and needed terms for things like, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, I have no idea what it is, like isokeles and equilateral triangles. Excuse me? Isokeles. Thank you, Professor Tarragon. Appreciate it. And equilateral triangles I have uh, that I have right. It needed pictures it took them from this safer. Okay? There is a story or legend that once during the Gon's wanderings, he happened upon a mechanical engineering problem which he solved, which became known as Kramer's Theorem. Now, the family name attributed to the Gon's family later is Kramer. That's why it's called Kramer's uh, theorem. This is not Kramer with a C's rule in linear algebra which solves linear equations. The problem had something to do with linkages. All right? Your, your mathematics in your ballpark? Linkages, what does that mean? Simple language. And it was, no, he said it was mechanical Ah. When things move and how they're biking. Aha, okay. Now, I'm going to mention, there's one more line in this letter, and it opens up a whole world for me, which I will try to share with you. When I was growing up in the Bronx, there were a lot of Rabbanim survivors, various types, Litvisha, Siddisha, and many of them wound up having little shuls. In the West Bronx, not far from where Rabbi Nathan Tarragon, Morty's uncle, was rabbi, there was a little shul, and there was a rabbi, Mordechavitz, in the shul. He was a litvisher, a friend of Rabbi Noach Bonstein, a friend of Rabbi Yerushim Gerelich. His kids all went to YU. They were brilliant. All went on to become Rabbanim with PhDs. I don't think they ever went into the rabbinate, but they knew how to learn. One of his sons, Mordechai Mordechavich, was very close to the Rav. Uh, you know, this was the Rav's ballpark. A Litvisha, son of a Litvisha Talmud Chacham, why you, science, Toru, Madam? Moshe Morachavitz, the Colonel of Racha, once told me that the Rav once mused about how nice it would have been if the Gon had met Isaac Newton. Charlie, think about that. Could you imagine the Gon, Isaac Newton, mathematical geniuses? Algebra, geometry, way beyond me. And who's the Gon? 
Who's the gun? All right. One source. Steve Gross is coming. If you know Steve Gross, you can depend upon him 100%. All right. Now let's come down to Halacha Lamaisa, Yoridea, Hilchat Torah, Siman Reish Mem Vav, Sif Dalet. And you, this is Gemara says it's many sources in Chazal, but this is the Halacha Lamaisa. Tell me, what do we learn? What do we learn? What should we learn? So much to learn. Shas, Paiskins. Galdashukhan Urch Paskins, Chayavadam Lishalashli Mudal, Shilishbitarashabikhtav, Dahainu Kharbavi Asrim. One third of our learning could be Tanakh, the 24 books of the Bible. Shlish Bamishnah, Dahainu Torshabal Prayer. Mishnah is Torshabal Prayer, recorded by Rabbeinu Hakadosh. And perish Torah Shabbat But then another Shlish Betalmid Sheyavin Vyaskil Acharita Vavavi Rashitol Vyatsidavami Tokhtava Vyidmedavah Ledavah Vyadun Bemidat Atorat Nidrashet Bechem Ad Sheyada Heik Icha Hamitzvah Vyheik Yotseha Asava Hamuta and the last third is Gemara. What's Gemara about? How do you get to the Mishnah? What are the sources? What does it mean? What do you learn? How do you compare logic, Bina, call it what you wish? So, the Shukhan Arachpanskin a third, a third, a third. But the Shukhanara continues Aida Ramah says V'yeshom rim she'betalmit bavli she'hu balu b'mikra b'mishnah v'gamara adam yotzei chovato that the Gemara has everything in it. You have Mishnah Gemara. You have all the Psukim. And you know the joke that a yeshiva boy learns Chumash from the Gemara. All right. I hope it's not entirely true. But there's no question that everyone talks about Daf Yomi. There is Tanakh Yomi today. There is Mishnah Yomit. But that's for beginners. That's for the masses. A Talmud Chacham bites into Gemara. And it could very well be that Ramah is correct that we learn Gemara based upon the sources for this, the Rambam, and then back to the second Saita. But could be when we learn Gemara, we don't say and this is what is required by a Jew. And the Ramah adds, Avolo 
We do not spend time learning anything else. This is the Ramah. A kid, start teaching him Hebrew. Once he knows Hebrew, open a Chumash. Once he knows Chumash, open a Mishnah. Once he knows Mishnah, isn't this the way we're taught? Isn't this the system we follow? Once he knows Mishnah, open a Gemara. And other studies, core curriculum, don't mention it. Not allowed. All right, now we come to the famous heart of the Ramah. Umi Komakom, the Ramah says. Mukha lilmol be akrai It's permissible to learn, you know, kliachayad often, not with regular classes, other wisdoms. Ubilvad shaloyi yusifre minim. Shouldn't be books written by apikarsim, by atheists, by agnostics, by people who deny revelation at Sinai. Ubilvad shalasifre, vizenikra ben hachachamim tiyu bapade. So this is what the Gemara refers to, the Gemara in Chagiga, of course going for a walk in the Pardes, in the Bustan, in the orchard of wisdom. And a person is not allowed to go for a walk, a spazier, a tiyu, is there a word in English for you? Help me out, I'm losing my English. To you, spazia, a walk, but there's a better word, a walk. All right. Only if his stomach is filled with meat and wine. And what does it mean, meat and wine? What does it mean before we come to learn to hear a shear? We have to have a meat breakfast and drink wine? I don't know. Now, they have to know basic Judaism, what it's all about, what your obligations are. This is the Ramah, citing the Rambam. Word by word, it's citing the Rambam in Hilchatama Torah. Well, you look down, to the bottom of the page, Bi'uahagra, I'm citing him word by word, and he says, the Gra says, Avaloda Wetapades, Lohu Veloha Rambam. This is the Gra saying, the Raman never. You went into the Pades, you never understood one word of the Pades. Get the heck out of there. And not only the Ramah. Ramah was an Achron, early Achron. The Rambam. Mipivanu Chayim, Meimat Anu Shotim. 
He says, you and the Rambam didn't understand the word, never comprehended the pardes, and I quote, the emet, and the truth is, she'ain la'adam letayel. It's absolutely forbidden for a Jew to study other subjects. So, who is the gong? Who is the gong? Yehuda Dov, I don't want to be arrogant to tell you I have all the answers. We have struggled with this question for a few hundred years now. But I'll tell you what I believe is the gong's approach. Yes, there's no, you can't argue this is the Hagan. This is what I said to you a half hour ago. What you found on his forum, that's the gong. It's not the student interpreting or writing it down. You follow me, Kenny? This is the gong, Abe. This is the gong. Okay. The Ramah, what he says. All right, there's one more big factor in life that we can't forget. We'll come into this in uh, the Sunday class uh, next week or the week afterwards. A father has obligations to a child. The Gemara in Kedushin Among the obligations is Lalameid to teach the child Umanut. Child has to make a living. This is the whole thrust, uh, maybe I'll mention it later in a different context of the Rav's work, Ish Halacha. If you're familiar with Ish Halacha, it's the Litvish Jew conquering the big world beyond him. No, in order to conquer the world, you need basic knowledge. Okay? No one can disagree with this. Yes, we can give basic knowledge. We don't have to give it from Sfarim that perpetuate up courses in the state of Israel we're educating hundreds and hundreds of thousands of young children we have textbooks that are fabulous I told you they're mathematical books where they deal with fractions and the example they give is Trumat Maisra 10% 50th, 60th, 40th, the Trumai and Tova, Benoni, etc. So, you must learn basic knowledge. The other part of the coin is that uh, the aphorism in the yeshiva world is Ani. There are three very difficult mesechtat. A Reuven Nida Yuvamat. Part of the difficulty is a riven Nida Yuvamat. You need mathematics. You need biology, botany, maybe chemistry. Yuvamat. You need a computer. Diagrams. Today it's a pleasure. There was a great Jew. Begin wanted to make him president of Israel, a Sfadi. But Begin was before his time in that thought. He published a book on, on Yuvamad with pictures and illustrations. You have Mesechet Kinem. No, I challenge you. Elliot, 
Sechet Kinim, do you remember Klausner? The clouds, so the clouds went to see Reb David Mishulam Salavechik. And he asked him for smicha. And the kind of, and Reb Mishulam David saw the Klausner's a smart kid, but a wise guy. So he says, who are you, Rebbeim? So he, Klausner tells him, uh, Rakefet. Reb Mishulam David Salavechik, what kind of, ech the shame, not a Rothkopf. It's a true story. Baron Lichtenstein, all right, he knew it's from his family already. But he knew, Klausner, why you, Rakefet, Lichtenstein? So he says to Klausner, I heard this from Klausner, I almost plotched. He says to Klausner, let me say it in English, but I'm living it in Yiddish. When we can talk and learning in Mesechet Kinim, consider giving you smicha. That's what he said to Klausner. Needless to say, Klausner then they got back. But it could be with artificial intelligence now, they'll be able to do something on the computer. Did you ever look at Mesechet Kinem? You know what I'm talking about? The birds flying back and forth? Gentlemen, there's no question to know Shas and Paiskim to master Ani you got to be big in many areas of secular knowledge. So you see, we have a tremendous conflict here. Who is the gun? And this is what I alluded to last week. Yeshiva University, and again, when I refer to Yeshiva University, I'm talking about the yeshiva I knew in my time. Remember, I left America 69, and while I did a great deal in establishing a presence of Yeshiva University in Israel, I may have been, let me not say it, but without the miracle with Mr. Griss, we wouldn't be here today. And that miracle was brought about by a little kid who grew up in the Bronx and wasted many hours in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium. Don't want to mention his name. So... Why you that I knew, if they would say, Shita Tagra, Torah Umada. I'm not certain that's correct. Because I told you last week, I took courses English literature, one year, two years. It was amazing to me. My professors, I remember their names. I remember their names even. Fleischer, Lenoff, everything they ever read, ever taught, all that underlied it was sex. It was amazing. Beowulf, Canterbury Tales, go on and on, the modern times. Wow. I don't know. Sex? All right. Tolstoy, Russian literature was on a higher level. That there's no question about. War and peace, emotion human beings, interaction, jealousy. Yep. Rabar and others, you know, they used to challenge Rabar, they used to challenge the babe. You know him as Rabar and Lichtenstein. They used to challenge him. Why did you waste your time in Harvard on literature? You gain emotion, understanding of life. There are concepts there that you, that you may not get anywhere else as easily as you get from good literature.
But I'm not sure they're going with improve literature. Take other classes. Darwin, biology, remember the big debate. It doesn't exist today, but in my time, can you believe in Darwin? How much was written to prove that we too see certain stages in creation? But I'm not certain. Art, music, I don't know if they're gone. Machon Lev, if I were running Machon Lev, I'd put on the stationary Hamosat HaYechidi B'Olam Baruch Hagra Gimel Reish Aleph. Machon Lev, this is a serious institution. Follows in Ramshinshra for Hirshiv's dictates ideas. Frankfurt. Mark, did you grow up in Frankfurt? I did. I went to the Beit Sefer reality of Rav Hirsch. I spent a lot of time in Frankfurt. Okay, Baruch Hashem. But you were there as a rabbi, doctor, lieutenant colonel. I'm talking, I was a student in the Beit Sefer reality. Charlie. Rav Hirsch. Your father. Okay, you check. You can't check with your father, but maybe you have the ability to check with him. He, Rav Hirsch, insisted either the teacher had to be a from Jew or a non-Jew. You don't have a Jew teaching who's not from. You can't. You wouldn't have a textbook there. That was Apikrosis. And now I'll come back to the story I've shared with you many times over the decades. It's one of the most beautiful stories of my life. When I was doing my research on Dr. Revel, I was a young fellow, capable. Like, unfortunately, I did too good a job. That's what people tell me. I, would you believe it when I cry to people, why, why, you doesn't do anything in memory of Revel, so I get two reactions. One reaction is, in memory of Belkin, Shmuel Belkin. One reaction is, who is Belkin? You know, it was a drunkard, idiots. Write what, why you did to him, he lost his health. The other reaction is, who can write on, you set the bar too high, your work on Revel is too good. All right. The, I told him, my work on Revel is too good. Jiftach Kashmul who says a work on Belkin has to equal my work on Revel, but it has to be a decent academic work on who he was, what he did, what he thought, how he lived, where he succeeded and where he failed. So, you talk about uh, you. Let me tell you a, a true story. I contact the Broya dynasty. Revel saved your Rav, where you grew up. Rabbi Revel saved him. The visa, bringing him to America. So, he comes to America... The Rabbi Broya, senior. And Rabbi Revel invites him to the yeshiva. We've achieved, we've saved you. I want you to teach. His specialty was Bible. He couldn't be a Rosh Yeshiva in the sense of competing with the Rav Moshe Soloveitchik and, and later the Rav. Bible. Teach Bible. He comes and visits the yeshiva 
and he walks out in anger. Correspond with him years later, he gives my letter to his son, and uh, his son answers me, you're absolutely right, Rabbi Revel saved my father's life, Rabbi Revel brought us to America, this is Jacob Roy I'm talking about, the son, not Joseph, Joseph the father. And, and then he adds on a paragraph, but my father was very upset with the yeshiva. They teach apikursis, courses in Bialik, Acharaam. We have nothing to do the yeshiva, not then and not now. And I have that letter, I, years ago I Xeroxed it and gave out copies from the Kolev. All right. Sal, I want you to feel better. You know what happened to me? Decades later, I had a big admirer here, so Lord Max Wild. Do you know the name Max Wild? Max and Jenny Wild. So, uh, did you know you know Max Wild? He's not alive. They're not alive. The Chiba Center, they gave a million dollars. It's named in their memory. Max and Jenny Wild Center. And... Uh, Max is all excited, showing me off. You know, I was younger and I had more strength, so I, I would go away to these events that Max did at hotels. I'd be the guest speaker. and I can't do it today, but I was younger. And uh, Max invites his good friend who had come in Aliyah, Jacob Breuer, to hear me. He says... You have to hear my rabbi. He's speaking on Rav Torah. And sure enough, I'm honored by the presence of Rabbi Jacob Breuer. A big crowd. It had to be a nice few hundred people. And I give this talk on Rav Central full Hirsch. And in front of hundreds of people, Rabbi Jacob Breuer comes up to me and hugs me and kisses me. Charlie, for a yekka to do that in public, that is something. And there were eyewitnesses. And he says to me, Rabarin, I want you to give this talk in Washington Heights. I'm paying for the ticket. I say, I, Rabbi Yaakov, who will pay my life insurance? He started laughing. You have no idea. Maxwell was in heaven. He said to him, this is what you did. You got a yekka to hug you, to kiss you, to laugh in public. And we became good friends. Kaval, he didn't live long. He, a few years later, he was gone. But what a, what a beautiful moment. And, and, and the truth is, yes, in why you... I took, I knew Bialik by heart. I could recite poems. Elat Sipur. Hamatmed, the base Medrash. Ripani Shalala, Machara Am. He was mamish. Historic, where is Zach? Historic Judaism. Tell Zach if he wants to know Zachariah Frankel. Zachariah Am is the same thinking. Not at Satik. Historic Judaism. Haram, big London, big London, but uh, it was a haram already, not, not, not Rabbi Ginsburg, Siddish Jung, a kind, 
big London. So you see, where do we draw the line? Who is who? And my own understanding, and I underline the word my own understanding, the Gon was very pro any knowledge that would help deepen and enhance your Torah understanding. He was not in favor of the liberal arts, which ultimately undermines the world and brings us to the woke generation, what we have today, Woodstock all over. I've Dake Amori in the full sense of the word. Why you is much more open. So now you have to raise a different question, Elliot. How the heck do you allow Haraam, Bialik, English literature, Darwin, Greek mythology? What about the Ramah? What about the fear you'll be led astray? And if I could, I would say, Scrappy, I would say to the Rav, you built Maimonides. Maimonides boasts until today. Uh, now they may have to change, but how many of their graduates go to Harvard, go to Yale, go to MIT? Some of the famous Maimonides, there's a guy named Rabbi Dr. Moshe Meiselman, he's an MIT graduate, PhD, MIT. You didn't know that, Yehuda Dov? He used to pay me money not to tell his Talmidim. I got a weekly allowance from him not to tell his Talmidim about it. Mark, do you know he had a PhD from MIT? Baruch Hashem. Mark Weiner doesn't lie on days that fall on Monday. Uh, you understand? What, what, what Rebbe had... So I'll tell you. The key to it is what the Ramah says. La'acher shemilei kreso bus of the yayin for who lay da isa vecheta and you see I believe that again I never spoke on this deep level to the Rav you know I was, when I knew him I was a kid I knew nothing later I knew something in the late 70s early 80s all my conversations were in halacha I, 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 I recorded so the source I gave you yesterday uh, in Rakafadar and Chelik Bet, that's a whole conversation with the Rav. A b- beautiful conversation with the Rav. And Chaval, I sent, you know, what I said went beyond what we spoke about. I found a solution to the problem that we couldn't answer. But this is a, yes, we're living in the big world. We can't go back to the ghetto. Certainly in Eretz Yisrael, as I've said so many times, as the Chatam Seifer has said, everything we do here is mitzvah yeshivarets. We need the best hospitals, the best universities in the world here. The best high tech. We're only going to survive the right now artificial intelligence, something we developed, sold off for billions of dollars. We just clinched the deal with Germany on the, era, on the defense against missiles, etc. Three billion, three and a half billion dollars, I believe the deal is. Just think what I'm talking about. No wonder no Jew wants to sweep streets here or no Jew wants to drive a bus. Vic is always complaining that the bus drivers are from his neighborhood are all Arabs. 
if you can be in artificial intelligence and overnight become a millionaire, why drive buses or sweep streets? It's a serious problem, by the way. I'm not minimizing it. This is why we had Asa coming in here. This is why we have Yehuda Vishomron coming in here, etc. But if we give a good foundation, I'd like to believe we can survive the challenges that will be thrown at us later in life. And I believe this is what Maimonides was about. This is what Talmudical Academy is about. Uh, and by this point, you've got to know what the world is about. And this is the story I tell you time and again. Every few years in YU, the students woke up. They're dissatisfied. They have to study Greek mythology. High school kids. We want to be from. Why do we need Greek mythology? Gods. Terrible deeds. And I remember a few times in my lifetime in YU in America, delegations went to see the Rav. And one delegation, I remember Rabbi Finkelstein, George arranged it to meet with the Rav in his apartment. And the Rav says to them, I, I was not there, but I'm quoting what I heard Bishat Maasa at that time. What, you don't want to understand Western civilization? And the Rav said, yes, you're right. The gods kill, plunder, rob, seduce, rape. You're very right. Their behavior was terrible. But this explains the Western world to you. What do our leaders do? Who are the presidents? Who are we talking about here? JFK? Clinton? Agnew? Biden's son? Hunter? Rob? Steele? Seduce? Rape? Wow. Society? If the president can do it, if our leaders can do it, if the king can do it, if the gods can do it, why can't I? Woodstock. Make love, not war. Free sex, no responsibility. Abortions on demand. Drugs, legalized. Where are we at? Jews? God gave you the land of Israel? Who believes in the Bible today? You believe old-fashioned, moribund, nothing to do with reality. Take it out, throw it out. Believe me, the greatest gift I got was learning Greek mythology. It gives me great insight in the world that surrounds me. So you see, you can make a case either way. Ah, and let me reward you for coming out in this weather and honoring the Rebbe with your presence. I apologize, there's a big crowd on screen, but I have to look at the students in front of me. Let me tell you a true story that unfortunately I may be the last of the Mohegans knowing the story. And this is the heart of the problem, and there's no black and white answer. <coughs> I love Makhon Lev, I love YU. 
In my time in YU, there was a very famous Talmud. He came in like a ball of fire from Lakewood. His name was David Hartman. He was the only one in my time why you made an exception and gave him smicha, although he had no bachelor's degree. He's a high school graduate, a Chaim Berlin boy, wound up in Lakewood. And he met a girl on the streets of Brooklyn. And Rabban Kutler told him, there's no such thing meeting a girl. you got to get married. You don't drag a relationship. A man is a man, a woman is a woman, marriage is the answer. It's not in the Western world today, but in the Torah world, marriage is the answer. So they got married. He needed Panasa, came to Wayu, a ball of fire. The Rav loved him. Got smicha, went into the rabbinate, North Bronx, I still remember his shtella. Eldest son, I was at the Brit Mila, that's where I met Schleimel and Karlbach for the first time. They knew each other from Lakewood. I can still see Schleimel winking at Dover, and, and he pulls out his guitar, and he's playing, and I'm sitting there, right? Ugh, memories. And uh, now he's in the North Bronx. No, who's the Bronx boy here? The North Bronx. Fordham University. Tremendous campus. Catholic University. And Duvi goes there and gets endless credit for his smicha, rabbinic studies, and within a year or two, he has a bachelor's. I heard the story from Duvi, word by word. Now, Fordham offers him a scholarship. Rabbi, come and get a master's. And he calls the Rav. And he says, Rebbe, I got my bachelor's, they've offered me a scholarship, go on for a master's, philosophy, for them you. Should I do it? And the Rav says, what's the problem? And then he says, well, you can be led astray by alien philosophy. And the Rav says, Hartman, planes crash, but we continue to fly. And that's the rub. Only he could answer like that. Like you can't fold Kedusha like a handkerchief into your pocket. Planes crash? Yeah. There's some people who went to Berlin and didn't come back from Jews. But we continue to fly. This is life. This is what's required. This is a Torah Jew in the Western world. And I quote Hartman, the time came that I wanted to pick up a phone and say, Rebbe, the plane just crashed. Quote, end quote. To V. Hartman. Gentlemen, this problem we struggle with until this very moment. Core curriculum, there shouldn't be an honest Torah person in the world who opposes it. One of our requirements is to give our children the ability to make a living. I can only say about my family, they have degrees in so many different aspects of life. I don't know where they got it from, all the way from animals 
all PhDs, mathematics, biochemistry, aeronautical engineering, electrical engineering, Wolf working in defense, career officers, army. One grandson, like me, teaches Shalavim many years already, and he publishes a book on the history of tank warfare that's been claimed that Fabulous volume, 1903 to 1940, tank warfare. Uh, excuse me? Development of the tank warfare. Whatever. Okay. What's, what's it called? The name Barzell. Barzell. One second. What's it called? Mirkovot Barzell is the name of the book. And uh, everyone has a different interest. Excuse me? It's also in English? No, no, it's in Hebrew. He's working on an English translation. He Dafker knows English and is at home in English too. But now he's in Azar, commander of Merkava Four. He's been in battle already for three weeks. He's a good kid. They're all good. Baruch Hashem. God should watch over them. And these kids are all kids who learn Torah. Some of them do Dafyomi. But they have to make a living. They don't want to emulate their grandfather. We had many difficult years here. You don't know what life was like, 69, 70s, into the 80s, etc. But th this is an interesting problem. Core curriculum, fine. You go beyond it. And I always use the example, imagine someone came to the Rav and said to Rebbe, I'm interested in Chinese literature. What would the Rav say to him? Same person came to the Rub's grandson, Mayor Tversky. Moshe Meiselman, the Rub's nephew. I'm interested in Chinese literature. They would answer the latitude. It's a waste of time. Take a major that's e easier. You have to learn Chinese and literature. And what is it? The Rub might very well say, Interesting, interesting. Let me know if you find any analogies to Chazal, to Medrashim, to Agadah. Follow? It's a whole different approach. Where the going stood, open to discussion, cannot deny the Ayo Mishulash, but on the other hand, what about the Tiyu Bukhadeh? And what about that far-reaching statement, Lohu Rambam Ra'u et HaPadeh? Misha Mile Vitno Basaviyayin. Where do you draw the line? What is Basaviyayin? Netanyahu's grandson, you all saw it on video, on the social media. How old was he? 13, 14? Made a seum in all of Shas. The son of a Talmud of mine from Driscoll. What do you require? Now, now he's ready. Let him go on to... High school, college, university. 
Where do you draw the line? And I hope the answer is a basic Torah education. No kid, the average kid, you can't expect to finish us by the time he graduates Maimonides or MTA, etc. But the foundation has to be there. Okay. That's as far as this point on secular education, which will come up time and again. Now, another part to the Rav, another part I should say to the Gon, to the Gra, the Digduk on Halacha. And you all know that when he reached a certain conclusion, nothing did but you. All of Klal Yisrael davens Friday night, and they sing the Shomru B'nai Yitrael HaTashabbat. I haven't said the Shomru B'nai Yitrael HaTashabbat for 54 years, because when I moved to Berlin 18 and 69, the closest shul was old Rivka. They follow Menikakra. Have sick. It's not part of the davening. Gulil I by night you're not chayev to make the smichat gulil But who said you're allowed to be mafsik? Oh Rivka back in 69, 70, Shvuas. No branches of trees, no flowers. Who cut goyim? Right or wrong? Mori, Charlie, where you davened in Rechovat, they brought in flowers, shvuat, every shoe, wow, decorated. I hate to tell you this, old Rivka today, they have flowers on Shavuos and they say the Tefillah Laman HaMedina. The, the founders would be turning over in their graves today. In the side Shtibble they have a 10.30 Chabad Minyan Shabbos morning. If I was honest I'd walk in and arrest all of them for davening Shalobisman. Now what can I do? My son-in-law and his shoe outside the young couple's minion, 10 o'clock, 10.30 it begins. If I'm with my children, I come from Mincha, they're first finishing Mosaf, 1 o'clock. Wow. Gone. Shitata gone. Haftorahs from a cloth. I mean, you can go on and on. A different understanding. Gone, you just walk into the sukkah, make a lay shape for sukkah. The, the very obligation to be in the sukkah has nothing to do with eating. It has to do sukkahs, you're obligated. You're going to learn, make a lay shape for sukkah. You're sitting in the sukkah for three hours, so you didn't eat something. But you're there, lakayim ha mitzvah. That too was part of the goal. And here, I refer you to a very important volume that someone who just wrote something from Efrat didn't look at, and he made an, a mistake which should be corrected. I'll come to it in a few minutes.
let me endure for other things I want to do. I want to quote to you from a writing called The Rav, The World of Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik. Published by Ketav 24 years ago. I'm quoting volume 1, page 140. Despondent on a festival, related by the Rav in his annual Yotzai Drescher in memory of his father, January 11th, 1970. Morty, you got to ask a question. How do I hear this? I was living here already. This is my great thanks to the hosts of family who illegally and condescently gave me reels of the Rav that saved my life. Who translated it from Yiddish to English? I know him. It's a guy named A.R.R. Rapran Velazhina, Mr. Rav, quoting his great-great-great-grandfather, told the following story about his mentor, the Vilna Gaon. Remember, Rav Chaim was not a Hasidish Rebbe, and yet he told the story. And you can be sure the thousands of people listening to the Rav Bishat Masa laughed when he said, He told this story. Once as a student, he noticed the Gon was quite despondent on a festival. This was unlike the Gon's usual festival demonia when he radiated splendor and joy. You know how Reb Chaim trembled in the presence of his Rebbe. I'll elaborate on that next week, Hashem. And he was wondering whether or not to ask his Rebbe what was bothering him. Finally, Reb Chaim asked his Rebbe why the festival seemed impaired. The Gon responded that during the night, the first night of Pesach, Many new Torah insights and secrets were revealed to him. When he awakened, overwhelmed by the brilliance of these thoughts, he continued to ponder and meditate upon them. Since he had not yet recited the blessings upon the study of Torah for the new day, these mediations were premature in accordance with his, the Gon's view on the prohibition of either pondering Torah thoughts without first having recited Birchat HaTorah. By the way, I give you sources. I have footnotes here. As punishment, he forgot all these new Torah concepts and was correspondently depressed. Later, Abhayim asked his Rebbe if the new thought insights had returned to him the Gohan answered, yes, they all came back. All the new insights and understandings were once again his. Listen to Rebbe. This is a real story. It is not a Hasidish story, but rather a Mignagdish one. Here too there are miracles. 
However, these miracles are different from the ones in Hasidic stories. Here, in Mignatish narratives, the miracles center around the knowledge of Torah. And look at my footnotes there. I have to tell you, this story is fabulous. Why? Number one, shows in the It's a whole much like it. When you make Birchata Torah in the morning, for how long are you making it? Are you making it for the next 24 hours? The day? Not till the next day. Or no, you're making it when you go to sleep, when you wake up again, and you're going to be, that's it, you have to start all over. It's a homach like a sapaiskim. The gon shita, you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, wash up, birchat you're staying awake, that's it. All right, this is the gon. He followed his principle. This time he woke up all excited. His mind is filled with new concepts. He's thrilled. He forgets it. He didn't wash. He didn't make birchat Torah. Ah, but then the miracle happens. The Torah comes back to him. So you see, you see two things from the story. His ability to paskin doesn't pay attention to other viewpoints even if they may be in the majority but if his head reaches this conclusion that was the goal the other part yeah the Mitnaknam also have stories but they're not Hasidic stories they have miracles but the miracles are in it's not a Hasidic story, the kid who's crying, the rebel who performs a miracle, the kid who doesn't know Aleph but this affects heaven more than someone who can say the Tfilat very beautifully. This was the goal. Okay. I'll pick up. From here, Be'ezrat Hashem, exactly where I left off next week. So what did we do today? First of all, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, everyone in front of me. I apologize to the screen, but I have to students in front of me come first. I, I always get upset when we used to have banks and the bank lady in the middle of dealing with you, she gets a call, answers the phone. Idiot, I'm standing here in the middle of dealing. I come first. Forget about the phone. We'll find out later. Call them back. Uh, the gone. not so simple. This problem of sleeping a half hour every two hours, that's simple. Because there is a lot to be said when you break up the day and take a half hour nap each time, an hour nap. Try it. Six hours one hour nap, six hours, one hour nap. But boy, it's going to be very hard to manage. Your wife will look at you, Yankel, are you crazy? Kum schluffenschein, get to bed. 
Your kids, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, what are you, crazy? Sabu, you're up all night? Follow me? You want to go to a store, you want to buy something in the middle of the night? They'll look at you. What are you, off your baraka? It's not shop right in America, open 24-7. The question of the gong and secular studies, that's a deep question. I hope I have the proper guidance, answer, understanding. I can't be sure. But think about Mahong Lev, think about Wayu. The Gong, the Hagod, the story with the Pesach, forgetting to wash, not making Birchatatera, forgot it all, but it comes back. That's that's a litvisha, a litvisha story. My dear students, are there any questions on what I've said until now? Okay, I'll pick up right where I left off next week. I want to mention a lot is being written about uh, the Rav, and uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people in this generation claim they know the Rav and. I claim I know the Rav as well as anybody else, so I have a right to my opinion. A very interesting article appeared in Tradition. Tradition recently had an issue entirely dedicated to the Rav. It's uh, Tradition 55, uh, Volume 55, Number 2. came out this year. There's an article by Yochevet Friedman. Very nice article. Teaches at Lambda College for Women. Shtetl man meets halachic man, and she compares the Rav to Professor Heschel. So I, I just want to say one point I disagree with her, and I think it's important. I hope I'm right. Maybe she's right. She makes the point that, uh, and again, I can't go into detail. I have to take for granted that you know a little bit about the Kapishnas Rebbe's son, the Kapishnas Rebbe's brother. Professor Avram Yoshua Heschel. I I know many members of the Heschel family. And she makes the point that in their writings, their most important writings, they are eulogizing the world that was, that they're no longer in. Professor Heschel, the earth is the Lord's, the shtetl, Europe, Chassidish world, their dedication, their Yiddishkeit. The Rav, Ish Halacha, he considers this the magnum opus of each one. The Ish Halacha, the world that is no more. The total dedication, Halacha, the difference of sunset on right before Ne'ilah to sunset on a normal night, etc. I love her writings. I only want to say, I don't think the Rav, Rav, Professor Heschel, I think she has a strong case. He's eulogizing the world that was, is no more. The Rav, I think Ishalacha is not a eulogy for the literature world, but it's trying to show how you can put the literature world into the Western world around us. And that's how I understand Ishalacha. The greatness of Lita, his family, the Halacha, the goal, what we spoke about, etc. I can't elaborate now. But the Kipshuha, 
the world that has to be conquered by modern man in every branch of science, technology, medical advancement, etc. So, think about what I just said. If anyone knows Yochavit Friedman, please mention my comment to her. See what she says. Then I want to show you, uh, Vic Snow brought me yesterday, this is the new Hakira that the lead article is by a guy who I know, Rabbinic Authority and Leadership on the Contemporary Scene. Now I want to tell you I'm very proud of this volume, not just my postdoc research here. Three of the students who, three of the people who wrote articles in this issue are my students. Uh, I can tell you which articles. The order to close the Velashim Yeshiva, which we'll talk about months from now. Jacob Sasson is a co-author. Yaakov Sasson, my dear student. The Children of Prophets, what that means, Lo Nevihim, B'nai Nevihim, that I quote all the time, Francis Natal, student in this co-well. Uh, one second, where do we have the other one? Ah, the second article right following mine is fabulous. Halavai, I would have had it when I wrote my Herzl article. On Herzl, 1919, by Rabbi Avraham Eliyokab. These are all people I've spoken about by Natty Helfgott, my student from the Kolel. But the article I want to comment upon is by David Corwin, who lives in Efrat. He's occasionally writes for the Jerusalem Post, I notice. His article is very similar to the Friedman article. And Rabbi Rubin will be overjoyed with this article. He compares the Rav to Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz. The ignorant compares for the wise. Who am I talking about? The bitch flying in the air. Did your father know the story or not? Do ask him, no, don't think, ask him. Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz, Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, Neighbors Behind Fences. And it's a beautiful article, but there's one mistake there. I don't see how you can write an article like that and not put in a footnote for biography of Rabbi Soloveitchik, see the Rav, the world of Rabbi Joseph B. Had he consulted my work in the Rav, I not only write about it, but I have a footnote. You see, Rabbi Lezer Berkowitz winds up in Berlin. Who becomes his Rabbi Muvhak? Rabbi Chil Yaakov Weinberg. Hildesheim, rabbinic seminary. He writes that the Rav also, that they both study, he makes the comparisons between them. They come from Eastern Europe and they study here and they come, come to Berlin. And they both studied with Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg. No, that's not correct. The Rav was not a Talmud of Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg. Look at my footnote. I mean, this is, uh, I heard this from the most reliable people, Yosef Burg and, and, and the Weingart family. Yes, what's true is when the Rav came to Berlin he 
wanted to meet the great Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg, who was considered the Eloi of the yeshiva world, of Slabotka, and all that went with it at the turn of the 20th century, 1900. Read Making of a Gogol, who he was, the relationship with the Alta. So he went to visit him at the seminary. But he was not not a student there. He as he heard Rabbi Yechiel Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov told his closest Talmidim, he said, yes, I know the Rav, I came with this, but my Talmidim is, a, he's not my student. My student he is not. And you can't compare Berkowitz and the Rav in their relationship to Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg. Eliezer Berkowitz was Mamish a student, but you cannot say that about the Rav. The Rav was an acquaintance. That you can say. And I can tell you how far the Rav was an acquaintance. I end off the class. Sal, it's another reward for you showing up today. Not knowing when you live Baruch Hashem long enough, you know stories no one else knows. But this is a beauty. I heard this from Rabarin and Tova and Ach. When Rabarin got married to Tova, Tova Soloveitchik and Aaron Lichtenstein, that, that's quite a marriage. So the Rav sent an invitation to Rabbi Chil Yaakov in Switzerland. He may have sent an invitation when a Torah got married to Isidore Tversky, to Professor Tomer Rebbe Tversky. But I don't know about that. But this one I know about. How do I know? Rabbi Chiel Yaakov sent back a gift. His Sri Dayesh, the first volume, had just appeared. So the Rav received a big Sri Dayesh, Mosad Rav Kook, Rabbi Chiel Yaakov, whatever. He never opened it. There was an inscription to the young couple. The Rav automatically, all the books he got in the mail, went to Gottesman Library. When you went to Gottesman Library, took out Chelek Aleph, Sri Dayesh, you opened it up, and if you read Hebrew, there was a beautiful inscription to the young couple that had just married. And give me one more minute, I know Rabbi Bedmash is coming in, I want to tell you very good news. Uh, Kenny, can you pick up the... Uh, the uh, thank you. Uh, now, what's underneath it? I want to tell you very good news. Uh, me, uh, I can't... I can't believe it. I can't get it into the screen. Yomo, you have to do a better job with the screen. Why you? Which camera is it? I don't know. I don't know. Why you were serious? They are now announcing anyone who wants to come to Israel and remain here. There is now a four-year YU program beginning next fall. Women, men. Everything we dreamed about. I have to give my dear student, Rabbi Dr. President Ari Berman, all the credit in the world, and. Ready, available information. If anyone wants these, they can take them. And if not, there are more. I'll tell you where to get them downstairs. The essence of the program is 
Your first year here, you go to the post-high school programs that have an affiliation with YU. From there, you choose your major. Right now, it's limited to Jewish studies, uh, uh, high-tech, uh, that whole area, business, and uh, psych psychology. Psychology program is in partnership with Tel Aviv View. Jewish studies, high-tech, everything involved there in partnership with business Barilan University. The first part of the day is ingress for men, be a regular program here, their own Rebbe. The women are next door in Chorev Library, a program, Shani Tarragon, uh, who else is there? Uh, some very famous some very famous women are running the program. The afternoons, buses take them to Barilan or the Tel Aviv View. It's only $36,000 a year. That's more money than I make in a year teaching in Israel. But compared to New York, it includes buses, dormitory, food, and university. The only screwball in the program is that the final summer between your junior and senior year, they require you to be in YU Western College uh, for the summer. Uh, I want to tell you when the Kolel began, there was the same foolish regulation that the fourth year had to be done in New York. Uh, I, have, uh, I have to give credit to Yossi Klausner who fought the battle that if you're remaining in Israel, you don't have to go back to New York for the fourth year. That battle was fought by Klausner, and he won. But they still so, have a rule. Uh, but if you're remaining in Israel, still have a rule. that you have to go back, yes. because, Kla because go Klausner is gone, they have a rule like that, I'm going to punch them in the nose. The, if you want to remain here, you have the right to remain. I hope that will be worked out. Uh, it, it's fascinating. What's lacking is there are other majors, but let's begin with this psychology, business, uh, high tech, Judaic studies, fine. Okay, Yom, open it to the world. We've got to work quickly because uh, there's another class coming in. Recording stops. Uh, are there any questions around the world? But we have to be brief. I ran over time. Nachim Lam, what's up, Hi, my boy? Rebbe, I, just, I wanted to give a few uh, sort of historical points. Um, first of all, with, with, with Caesar, Julius Caesar, we know his mother lived into his old age. So back then, nobody survived. They had cesarean sections back then, but it was always because the mother was dead or dying. They, the first person to survive was a few hundred years ago. So because Caesar's mother was alive, he, she, he couldn't have been born with one. So we know it wasn't him. Okay. Um, like you said, it, it needs to cut. Um, I just I wanted to say there was a, a funny thing once uh, by, by Schwartz, or by Alan Schwartz, was telling us about the Vilna Gaon and how he how he how he slept, you know, for an hour. And, right, right. He's so my on. student. He heard it from me. So, so somebody said, "Oh, Re oh, Rebbe, you know that's um, uh, Kramer on Steinfeld did that. He, he did it one episode. He did this thing where he slept for an hour and he stayed awake, and it didn't work out for him." But so, so Rabbi Schwartz was like, Kramer on Seinfeld, that's funny, because the Gras family name was Kramer. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh. Kramer on Seinfeld and Kramer the Gras. Good gesagt, very interesting. They, they just found out, a, a researcher just 
found out that they had never known this before, that in the Middle Ages it was very common. People woke up in the middle of the night and, and stayed awake for like three or four hours in the middle of the night and did more work and then went back to sleep again. They, they, were, they were looking in books in Oxford somewhere and they found out that it was, uh, it was just so... So, so I, like got, said, I got news for you. The great rebellion with Tikkun Chatzais, that was the same thing. They woke up and they took a little nap in the middle of the day and that was it. But Kanain uh, Hara... It's the secret of long life. How are your parents? Uh, I keep going well. I keep going well. Okay, you know, I, I saw this thing about Queens yesterday. It's uh, unbelievable. I'm yeah, going to show it. I send it to you. Well, I see you mentioned it already. They say the seventh Rebbe would also sleep very little. The, the well, the Le Rebbe is well known. I'll tell you who else would sleep very little. Steve Riskin. Riskin. <laughs> would go to sleep at 12, and at 5 he was giving, or 5.30 at Dafyomi. I once was on a plane with him, going to America. I got off the plane half dead, and he got off the plane like he just uh, was reborn. Uh, yeah, but that has to... so often, I knew someone who went to Arex for two or three weeks, and he was here being beside the Kedushin twice while she was there. Well, well I understand. Someone went to Arex, and... And while she was on her trip there, he came back twice to be Masada Kedusha. Went from the airport to the Kukla back to the airport. All right, that that has to do with individuals. Some need more sleep than others. I can get, in my prime, I could get along on six hours sleep. Today already it's uh, five hours at night, two hours by day, but it adds up to seven. But according to the Rambam, eight hours is what you need. But it depends on the individual. All right. Meiselman's PhD is in math, not in liberal arts. He has a PhD theoretical and a PhD in regular math. He has two PhDs, you say? Yeah, and he has one from Harvard in philosophy. That one he didn't like because he's, from what I heard, that podcast that he sent me from the summer... Because uh, the professor was like, a, it was like clear that he was a, a huge anti-Semite. Uh huh. All right. Yeah. If we're going to worry about, yeah, if we're going to worry about but universities and anti-Semites today, we have a real problem. What book are you showing me, uh, Avram? Um, this is uh, the first printing was 2018. It's called the Agaris Agros. Ah. And I don't know the citations, but they say uh, that there are two primary printed versions of the letter known to them. The first was found at the end of uh, Sefer Masilis Charms, and the second version is recorded by Rav Yusuf Zundel of Salant, a Talmud of the Vilna Right, right. And the third lesser known text known as the Aram Sova version. Interesting, interesting. I haven't, I haven't gotten around to reading this yet, so I don't know. But, uh, I don't know reading, but, study, I, I would say use the word studying. That's the proper word. All right, I have to sign off. The, we got to clear the room. When Rabbi Yossi Klausi told me that he was the first one that he convinced them to be able to stay for all the years of smicha, I was still muted, though. Um, one other thing. I, I sent you an email with the other thing, so you won't have... I don't have to say it. Uh, but the the Indian of Yishalei Shadam Shnosa in Shofanor, or is brought from the uh, the Syrian tradition right after Mitzvah's Avalabed. I think it's Avod the Zara also. But what I've said in defending teaching Tanakh and things like that, 
that it seems that it refers to satisfying your chiyav as an adult, assuming you already learned through Mikra Mishnah. Well, it's well, not a substitute for never doing it. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying. This is why this, 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 this is why the Zilbermans uh, this is why the Zilbermans follow Pirkeyovat, the outline there. They don't begin Gemara too much later. First Tanakh, then they add Mishnah, and then I think it's fifteen years of age when they begin Gemara. There was, there was an, there was an the essay they don't even finish Mikra now. Uh, well, I would say so the Nevi'im Rishonim, they never really finished Nevi'im Akronim or Ksuvim. No, or we didn't. Okay. Uh, yeah. Nachem, yeah, and then we have to end. The no, 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 there was a, why you had an education journal once, and they had an essay that pointed out that when the Mishnah mission, mission says Mishnah and Gemara, what? they don't mean Mishnah and Gemara, because the Mishnah and Gemara hadn't been written yet. He said Mishnah means Halacha. <laughs> Like, even the Rambam is Mishnah, so to speak. Uh-huh. Gemara means sure. like Shaka Levitaria. Yeah, so it means like for five years you have to learn the whole halacha. You have to know what it is, and then you can start, you know, making all sorts of discussions. Uh, uh, right, right. And when right. you think about it, they didn't learn Gemara before Tarashimah Okel was written down. What they learned was pure halacha. Uh, we, 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 without halacha, we can't live as Jews. But that's Misha Bitnom Misha Malay Bus of the Yayan. Okay, until we meet again in health and happiness, Das We we have to end now because the room is being remodeled for the next class. We'll continue. We'll continue.